Father, we just come to you today, and we're so grateful for all that you teach us through your word. And one of the verses that we're all familiar with, Lord, is that your perfect love casts out fear. Lord, that's a verse we all need to remember in the days in which we live because there's a lot of things uh, going on in our world that seem to uh, cause a lot of fear, Lord. But we know that, that your love does cast out fear. But show us how that works today as we look at this text, Lord, and we see how it's a balance between having a fear of you, Lord, that allows us not to fear the things of this world. And so, Lord, I just ask that you teach us this great lesson as we look at this group of Israelites as they uh, journey to Mount Horeb and they receive the law, Lord, and, and uh, they see you an aspect of you that they haven't seen before. So, Lord, I just ask that you uh, help us to see that today. Help us to see that with our spiritual eyes, Lord, and then as we take the Lord's Supper, Lord, help us to be mindful of your presence here today and your presence in our life. We're, we're so grateful, Lord, that, that you're our God and that, yes, you're to be feared, Lord, but, but your perfect love does cast out fear because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And we're so grateful for that. So it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Years ago, when I lived in Las Vegas, Nevada, the number one uh, act, on the Las Vegas Strip was a magical show called Siegfried and Roy. I mean, some of you might have heard of that. Uh, uh, but they really weren't the stars of the show. The stars of the show were the white lions and the white tigers that did all of the tricks. Well, you could drive over to their compound in, in Las Vegas where they had their mansion, and they actually had a sanctuary there for those lions. They kept them there at their home. And they treated those lions like they were their own children. I mean, they let those lions roam through their home. Uh, they fed them steaks. Uh, if I don't feed my children steaks. My children are gone, so I eat the steaks now. But, but uh, they fed those lions and tigers steaks. Uh, they uh, let them sleep in the bed with them. And, and uh, I mean, they, they really were close to those lions. But on Roy Horn's birthday, October the 2nd, 2003, he was doing a show there at the Mirage, and he stuck his head in the lion's mouth like he, like he was used to doing. Actually, it was his uh, uh, white tiger's mouth, uh, Monocore, his favorite tiger. And he stuck his head in his mouth, and that tiger bit down on his head. Uh, he mauled him and grabbed his neck, severed his spine, and drug him off the stage to the horror of all the people there at the Mirage. And uh, some standby trainers uh, got him uh, out of Monocore's mouth, but Roy Horn was paralyzed for the rest of his life and died just a few years later from, from uh, being in that state in which he was in. Uh, any way you look at it, the reason he died was that his familiarity with those lines had brought him to a place where he didn't have a healthy fear of lions and tigers. That's probably a good thing to have is a healthy fear of lions and tigers. Uh, but let me tell you who we really need to have a healthy fear of, and that's a healthy fear of God. As we come to our text today, uh, the Israelites have a familiarity with the Lord. 
And what that familiarity had done, instead of breeding trust and love, it had bred contempt for the Lord. You remember when we looked at the story in the, in the last chapter, how the Israelites had moved from the wilderness of sin over to the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And they had, God had tested them. He had given them a shortage of water. And uh, instead of trusting the Lord, based upon all he had done for them in the past, uh, they boldly contended with the Lord, and they murmured and complained against the Lord. And what they needed most at that point was a healthy fear of God. And that's exactly what God's going to give them today as uh, uh, they come to Mount Sinai to receive the law. So here they are at Mount Sinai, which is Horeb. If you remember Horeb, we saw Horeb back in chapter 3 and 4 of Exodus because Moses lived in Midian. Remember, he had, he, had, he had left Egypt, he had gone down to Midian, and he was out herding his sheep, and he came to Mount Horeb. And uh, so now he's camped at Horeb. He's only a few miles from home, from his old home in Midian. And Jethro and his wife and his two sons are living there in Midian, and they get word that he's camped there at Horeb, and Jethro comes out there to see him, and he brings Zipporah, Moses' wife, and he brings his two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. But my, how things had changed since the last time they had all been together. Remember, Moses had had this experience. He was herding Jethro's sheep, and he was out towards Horeb, and he saw in this burning bush, he saw the angel of the Lord. He saw the Lord himself in that burning bush. And the Lord called him. He gave him that great calling. He said, I'm going to send you up to Egypt, and you're going to deliver the nation of Israel out of the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So Moses goes back home. Now, you can just imagine the scene. He goes back home, and he tells Zipporah and Jethro about what he's seen. And you would think they would have said, wow, that's great, head on up there. But I think they had their doubts. Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 6, verse 4. He said, uh, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. So I have no doubt that they tried to, they kind of thought Moses has maybe had lost it a little bit, and they tried to talk him out of, going up to Egypt to try to deliver the nation of Israel. Now, Jethro knew Moses well, and he knew Moses wasn't a liar, so he knew Moses had seen something out there in the desert. He didn't know quite what. But, but Jethro, at that point, was a polytheist. He believed in several gods, and he knew about the Egyptian gods, and he knew that Moses, even if he had a god and had found a god out there in the wilderness, him and his God weren't big enough to take on all the gods of Egypt, and so I'm sure he tried to discourage Moses from going. Zipporah had her doubts too, no, and so I'm sure she tried to discourage Moses from going, but reluctantly she left, and she went with Moses, and while they're on the way back up to Egypt, you remember what happened. Uh, the Lord came to Moses and said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you because you haven't circumcised your youngest son, Eliezer. And so Moses told Zipporah, I've got to circumcise Eliezer, and she got mad. She got mad, and she circumcised him, him herself, herself, and she threw the foreskin at Moses, 
And, and uh, she said, you're a bloody man and your religion is a bloody religion. And so she was ticked. And I think at that point, she went back home. And Moses left and he went to Egypt by himself. But my, how things had changed now. Uh, word got, started, got back to, to Zipporah and Jethro of all the things that were happening. They heard about all these plagues up in Egypt. They heard about how uh, Pharaoh's armies had been destroyed. They heard about the, the exodus of these millions of people. And now they hear that uh, Moses is camped at Horeb. And so Jethro gathers them all up and he says, hey, let's go and see Moses. And that's what we want to pick up today as we come to Exodus chapter number 18. So pick up, we'll be at Exodus chapter number 18. And let's begin, we're going to, we're going to skip down to uh, verse number 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down before him, and he kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent of Moses. And I'm sure Moses hugged his wife, and he hugged his sons, and he told his wife, baby, I'll see you a little bit later. I mean, he hadn't seen her in a long time. And so, so uh, they had this great reunion, and Moses told his father-in-law all that Watch this now. He said, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh, all of those plagues and how the Pharaoh's armies had been destroyed, uh, uh, and to the Egyptians, and uh, the Egyptians had given them all those goods, and the Lord had done that for Israel's sake. Then Moses told them about all the hardships that they had come upon along the way. I mean, it was a difficult journey, these two months that they had been on this journey. And then, but he said, he said, and he told him how the Lord had delivered them out of all those hardships. That should sound familiar there because that should be your testimony when you're witnessing to your friends and to your relatives. That's exactly what you should say. You should begin by telling those people that are, you know that are lost how the Lord has delivered you out of the hands of the devil and out of the hands of this world. And then you, and here's where I think a lot of us go wrong, because a lot of us then say, man, everything's been great since then. No, that isn't what Moses tells his father-in-law. He says, hey, it's been rough. It hasn't been easy. We had to cross the Red Sea. We had Pharaoh's army chasing us. Uh, we didn't have any bread. We didn't have any, uh, we didn't have any food. We didn't have any water. But, but the Lord has delivered us out of all those problems. And, and, and that's our testimony. Hey, it's been tough. Hey, I've been in this thing 31 years, and i got to tell you, it's been tough. The whole way it's been tough. And I've faced a lot of trials and a lot of tribulations. Jesus said, in this world, you will have many tribulations. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome this world. And God has proven that to me over and over and over again. He has delivered me out of every major problem I've been in. Every single one of them. I could give you a bunch of them. I won't waste your time with those. But, but that's my testimony, and that should be your testimony. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good. Now watch how he, how he sees the Lord now. He sees the Lord as the great I am. He's watched what's gone on. He had his little gods, and I'm sure he had them in his tent, and, and they really hadn't done those things for him. And he's seen what Moses' God has done. And so now he's ready to worship the Lord. So, so Jethro... Rejoice for all the good which Jehovah had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be, watch this, Jehovah. 
In other words, Jehovah is my God who has delivered you out of, out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Jehovah is greater than all gods. For in the very thing in which they behave proudly, he, has, he, he was above them. In other words, we have proudly worshipped all of these gods who supposedly had all of this power. They claim to have all of this power. We actually gave them all of this power. But God has brought every single one of those gods down, and now I know that Jehovah is God. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer it to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' his father-in-law before God. Now you can imagine how Moses feels at this point. His God has been vindicated. He has been vindicated. And he's ready to celebrate. And he's ready to be with his wife and be with his kids and be with his father-in-law. And uh, they have a great celebration and they offer sacrifices unto the Lord. And then the next morning comes and Moses has to go right back to work. Look at verse number 13. And so it was on the very next day that Moses set to judge the people. Now remember there's two to three million people that are participating in this exodus, two or three million ex, uh, Israelites. And so it was that on the next day that Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening, judging their cases. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing uh, that you are doing? What is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? I mean, Moses, you can't keep doing this. And Moses said to his father-in-law, uh, because the people need me. They need me to inquire on the Lord on their behalf. And when they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another. And I make known, now this is really interesting right here, because listen to what he says. He says, and I make known the statues of God and his laws. Now the question you got to ask, the obvious question you have to ask right now, is how did Moses know the statues and laws of God? Because the law hadn't been given yet. It hadn't been given. I mean, uh, we're going to see the law given to them in in, in, a, in, in chapter 20, and, and thereafter, you're going to see the Mosaic Law, you're going to see the Ten Commandments, then you'll see the Mosaic Law given to them. But how in the world did Moses already know these statutes and laws? Well, some people say he got direct revelation from the Lord. That's possible, but I don't think so. Let me tell you how he knew the statutes and laws of God. He knew it because it was part of his nature to know it it's part of your nature to know it if you're here today and you're not a believer let me ask you a question when you saw those planes those people heard about those people taking box knives and slitting the the stewardess's throat and slitting the pilot's throat and driving those planes into those towers did you think that was evil even if you didn't know the law did you think that was evil yes you thought that was evil why did you think that was evil? Because God's laws are part of your nature. Go with me over to Romans chapter 2. Probably some of you already know where I'm heading here. 
Romans chapter 2. When Paul is making the case that even the Gentile who doesn't have the law has no excuse they don't, because the law is part of their nature. Go with me over to Romans chapter 2. And look down at verse number 14. Romans chapter 2, verse number 14. For when the Gentiles, or you could translate that heathen, in some translations it is translated heathen, when the unbeliever, when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things of the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, in their nature, really is a better translation there, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. People know right from wrong. That is what Paul is saying, because it is part of their nature. Why is it part of our nature? Because we've been created in the very image of God. And so the law is part of our nature. Now, now it, it's not part of necessarily what we want to do. As an unbeliever, you don't really want to do the law. You know what's right or wrong, but you just want to do what you want to do. Now, when, the, when you receive Christ, the law becomes part of your heart, part of your will, and you want to do the law. Let me tell you what, if you don't want to obey the Lord, you're not saved. I mean, you might know right and wrong, but you're just going to do what you want to do, and you don't care what anybody thinks about it. You don't care what God thinks about it because you have no fear of God. Well, those of us who do fear God know his law. We know what's right and wrong, and we want to do what's right. We don't want to do what's wrong. Now go back to our text, and let's pick up at verse number 17. So here's Moses now, and he's, he's from morning to night, he's judging the people of Israel. He's telling them what's right and wrong. Hey, this is wrong. You murdered somebody. Hey, that's wrong. Uh, you, you're committing adultery. That's wrong. And he was judging all of these issues. He shouldn't have had to. They should have been able to judge it among themselves. But, but he spoke on behalf of God, and so he had that authority, and he was using that authority in a good way. But So Moses' father-in-law said to him, this thing that you do is not good. It's not necessarily it's not bad that you're judging. You just can't keep doing this for two to three million people. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to grow weary. There's no way you can keep this up. So he tells him what he needs to do down in verse number 21. Listen to what he says. He says, Moreover, you shall select from all people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetous. In other words, they're going to serve the people not for what they can gain, but because they love the people. Now, wouldn't that be a great qualification list for politicians that we're electing this week? Able men. Able men who know where they're at. They, they know which state they're in. I, I said I wasn't going to pick on Joe Biden because I'll be calling Moses Joshua here in a minute. So, anyway, but... Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God. Now, I don't know if we have many politicians that fear God, but, but would it be nice if they all feared God? Be really nice. Men of truth. 
goodness gracious, would that be refreshing. Men and women of truth in politics, wouldn't that be an anomaly? I mean, unbelievable, wouldn't that be great? Hating covetousness, not in it to make a buck. You know, the one thing I like about Donald Trump, he got bucks. He doesn't need any more bucks. He's not in it to make money. That's not his purpose. I mean, I think he likes the power. I think he's got a lot of pride and all of those things, but, but he's not in it to make a buck. There's a lot of people in politics to make a buck. That's all they've done all their life. And somehow they make, you know, they make maybe tops two or $300,000 a year, and they all become billionaires, multimillionaires. How does that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happens, because they are men and women of covetousness, and they use their power to make a lot of money, and that's really sad. But anyway, you're to pick these men and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. In other words, you're to delegate. It's a really good thing, Moses, and you need to do some delegation. Now, there are some expositors, actually lots of expositors, who would say that Moses made a, because Moses did what, what Jethro advised him to do. And there are a lot of expositors that would say that Moses made a grave error here. Actually, these men that he picked became the 70 elders of Israel, who later became the 70 leaders of the Sanhedrin, who were the men who orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So was Moses wrong? I mean, in their, their, in their view, people who look at it that way say, here was Moses, and he could see, as Jethro was talking to him, he could see the glory cloud of the Lord. It, the angel of the Lord, who was none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, was walking at the rear, camped somewhere at the rear of this group. And he talked to God as a man talks to a friend. So why in the world... Would he need Jethro to tell him this? If God wanted him to do this, God would have told him this. And that's their case, and I understand that. But I think that's wrong. I don't think Moses made a mistake. D.L. Moody said it like this. He said, I would rather put a hundred men to work than do the work of a hundred men. I will get a lot more done that way. And so... Here's where I think they, people who see it as a grave error go wrong. God doesn't always speak to us directly, but more often than not in the age in which we live, he doesn't speak to us verbally and audibly and directly. He speaks to us through our circumstances, and certainly you look at the circumstances here, and Moses was going to worry himself out, and he speaks to us through other people. Now you think about that because who do we have living in us? We have the Holy Spirit. So if we ever were to, to take the advice of another person, and, and then somebody would say that's a grave error because, hey, you got the Holy Spirit living in you. But God loves to speak through other people. He loves to speak to us through our circumstances. And he was doing that way back here. And I think that's exactly, I mean, certainly the circumstances warranted that Moses did something, and, 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 and he was being spoken to by a man who now was a man of God, a man of Jehovah. And, and as long as you back that word up, you get a word of knowledge from someone, as long as you back that up and it lines up with the word of God, hey, that can be a very good thing. Look at what, look, jump ahead to verse number 23, and I think that's what Jethro said to him. He said, look, don't just take my advice, 
check it out with the Lord. It says in verse number 23, if you do this thing and the Lord so commands you, uh, then you will be uh, able to endure and all the people will also go to their place in, in peace. They will have the uh, righteousness, righteous judgments made that they need to have. And you've got this line of people, you're not going to be able to see all these people. And so you'll, you'll be serving the people. And it was a good thing. And Moses did it. There's no doubt Moses did it. Just because things that start out good turn out bad, uh, that doesn't mean that it was wrong at the beginning. I mean, our Constitution started out really good. This nation started out really good. Don't, we don't need to be ripping up the Constitution. We need to be seeing people change and come to the Lord. That's the problem right now. So, so that's, that's the case here. And I think Moses did the right thing, and Jethro did the right thing by giving him that advice. And that's why it's recorded here in Scripture. And then in verse number 27, Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. And Zipporah and Eleazar and Gershom, his two sons, stayed behind with Moses, and they stuck with him the rest of the way. Now, now we come to one of the most important sections of Scripture in the entire Bible. And that is the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So that's what we're going to be looking at as we come to chapter number 19. So, so let's read the first few verses here. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Exactly two months after Passover, after they left on the day of the Exodus, uh, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and they had camped on the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain, which is the mountain of Horeb, or otherwise known as Sinai. And the Lord, and, and Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, to the Israelites, and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and I love this metaphor that he uses right here. I love it. He says, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you into myself. What a beautiful metaphor that is. That shows the care and love of God in our lives, in the lives of his people. It just shows you the side of God that just melts your heart when you think about it. I mean, what's he saying right there? You've all heard the story, but you know how an eagle, what an eagle does, it builds a nest way up there on a cliff and, and lays her eggs and watches over her, her little birds and feeds her little birds, and then one day they become fledgling, and she's ready for them to fly, and she nudges them over there to the edge of the nest, and they look down and they say, no way, dude. But she doesn't give them that choice. She pushes them out of the nest, just like God pushes us out of the nest sometimes. And they begin to fall, and they begin to flap their little fledgling wings as hard as they can. And, and they, they hold them out, and they, they, they glide a little bit, and then they flap some more, and then all of a sudden they're tired, and they can't do it anymore, and they start crashing to the rocks below. But before they hit the bottom, in soars the mother eagle, and she picks that little eaglet up, and she carries him all the way back to the nest. That's a picture of what God does for the people he loves. 
that's a picture of what he did for the Israelites, and that's what he was showing them. That's a picture of what he does for us today. All right, then in verse number five, he says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, I love you so much, is what the Lord said in that metaphor. I love you so much, and all I'm asking you to do is to obey my voice and keep my covenant. If you'll do that, then you shall be a special treasure to me. He's giving them their calling now. You will be a special treasure to me above all the people, uh, for all the earth is mine. You'll be like my little fledglings, and I'm going to take care of you. And you shall be to me, now he gives them their calling, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You're going you're to be people who reach out to the world. I'm going to use you to reach the world. You know what? They've never really done that. They're, they're doing that in their own stubborn way because they were given the law and they were given the Messiah and all of these things. They were used to reach the world, but they really the way they saw this thing, they were the special people of God and to heck with the rest of the world. You know, they can all perish because we're God's special people and that's all he needs is us. But that wasn't their calling. They were called to be priests. There's a lesson there for us too. We're God's special people, but we're special because God is going to use us as priests to reach some of the people, dying people, lost and dying people of this world. And a holy nation. You're a separated nation. I'm going to separate you. You're going to be different from the rest of the world. You're going to do righteousness and not evil, and people are going to see that, and they're going to want that. That's your calling. Again, they never fulfilled that, but that was their calling. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And so Moses came and called for the elders of the people, and he laid out God's plan for them and, and, and told them that, that they were going to have a covenant, and they were going to have a law, and they were going to keep that law. And, 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 uh, they, and because they did that, they were going to be the most special people on earth, like little eaglets, cared for by God himself, eventually brought to him, to his home, to live with him forever. That's, that's your calling. And then all the people, I mean, they love this. I mean, hey, God must really love us to say all of that. Then all the people answered together, and all that the Lord has, and this is what they said, those famous words, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. <laughs> Baloney. They never, they had a history of never doing what the Lord had spoken to them. They never fulfilled that calling. Jesus fulfilled that calling for them, and some of their prophets fulfilled that calling, but they never fulfilled that calling. All we'll do it. So Moses brought back the words uh, that they had spoken to the Lord. Now, I, I, I'd love to have been there to see that scene. So the Lord, Moses goes back to the Lord. He says, hey, got good news for you, Lord. They're going to do everything you tell them to do. They've agreed to do it. And I bet you the Lord laughed. He laughed because he knew just a few weeks later they were going to be worshiping a golden calf. So, so he wasn't impressed by what they said at all. And, and so now the Lord wants to show them another side of himself and, and, and because he wants them to have a healthy fear of him. Yes, he's a loving God, and yes, he cares for them uh, like a mother eagle cares for her eaglets, and, and uh, he, he certainly loves them. But he also is a holy God, a holy God. I hope you understand that. I hope I understand that. Just how holy he is and just how unholy we are. 
and he's a holy God who's not to be trifled with, but a God to be feared, and he wants to show them that. And so it gets pretty scary here now as we pick up. So pick up in verse number 9 of chapter number 19, verse number 9. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I came to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them tomorrow and set and, and let them wash their clothes. In other words, that's symbolic of cleaning up your act. Let them clean themselves up. They weren't going to do that spiritually at this point, but, but uh, he wanted at least to do it physically. They're dirty. They've been out in the wilderness. Let them take a bath. And that's a picture of holiness. And let them be ready for the third day. For On the third day, the Lord will come down from, the Mount, Sinai, from Mount Sinai uh, in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds uh, for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up the mountain or touch, so much as touch the base of the mountain. Whoever touches the bases, base of the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand, not even a hand shall touch, touch him, uh, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live if he touches this mountain. And when the trumpet sounds, a heavenly trumpet, a long heavenly trumpet, they shall come near to the mountain. Now imagine a heavenly trumpet sounding. Uh, that would be a, that, that, I mean, if you heard that right now, I tell you, it would scare you half to death. Uh, it was a few months back, I was lying in my bed, and we were in the middle of this COVID, and I was thinking, man, we're about to get raptured out of here, it's getting really close, and I heard the strangest, eeriest blast of something, and, and it woke me out of bed, it sounded like some big trumpet, but an eerie trumpet, not, you know, uh, it sounded really uh, scary. And I woke Brenda up. He didn't wake her up. She was sound asleep. She sleeps pretty soundly. But they didn't wake her up. And I said, Brenda, did you hear that? And she said, at first I looked to see if she was there, because if she was gone and I was still there, <laughs> it was really bad. But I said, Brenda, did you hear that? And she said, no, no, I didn't hear it. And, man, I, I just started thinking. I mean, I was texting friends and see if they were still here. <laughs> Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I kept wondering, I kept asking God, Lord, show me, please show me what, or tell me what that was that I heard, because it was so scary and so eerie. Well, later that week, the guy came to service my generator, and he said, your battery blew up. He said, and I bet you heard it, because it makes this eerie, eerie sound. When it blow, these batteries, these generator batteries, when they blow up. So that's what it was. So thank goodness we're, we're, I'm here and I'm supposed to be here. Where was I at anyway? But anyway, this heavenly, he, he, the Lord says, I'm going to blow this heavenly trumpet, and when I do, all of the people are to, are to come uh, to, to, where, to, to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and, and, this, and, and, sanctif and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day, 
Do not come near your wife. Don't have sexual relationships with your wife. You're going to be holy and clean when you come. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning. Watch this. Now, you've got to picture this in your mind, that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. Now, here's this God who loves them, who tells them that you're like my little eaglets. I'm going to take care of you. He, they, they've watched him take care of them. They've watched him give them water out of the, out of the uh, rock. They've, they've, seen, they've, seen him deliver, they've seen him deliver them from Pharaoh. And now here he appears to them in thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. They trembled. And that's exactly the place God wanted them to be. He wanted them to be in a state of fear, healthy fear, healthy fear, because he wanted them to know that God is holy, that he is holy, that he is unapproachable by sinners. Sinners cannot approach him because of his holiness. He hates sin. And he's angry with sin. And it's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. And that applied to every single one of them. There were no exceptions. Not one of them was to touch that mountain. If they so much as touched that mountain as sinners, they were going to die. They were going to be shot with an arrow or they were going to be stoned by stones from heaven. And then in verse number 17, it says, And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And now Mount Sinai, Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. It shook back and forth. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, what a terrifying, horrible experience that must have been for the Israelites. I mean, the smoke of his presence. They could smell that smoke. They could see that smoke. I mean, the mountain quaked so hard that they didn't know if it was going to just fall right on top of them. And they were scared, and, the, and it was, it was, all of this scene was encompassed by darkness, it was encompassed by fire, and there was this feeling of death. They could feel death. And they could think, they were thinking, hey, it might be me that's going to die. And I think if they could have, they would have run as fast as they could have right back to Egypt. But they knew God wasn't going to let them run back, and so they were frozen in fear, and it was in that horrifying environment. And this is so important to get down, because it shows us the seriousness of what God is doing here. It was in that horrifying environment that God gave them the law. Friends, the law should frighten you. When I hear some bozo say he tells me he keeps the Ten Commandments, I'm frightened for him. Because if I've got to keep the Ten Commandments to be saved, buddy, I'm in deep trouble. If I so much as have an adulterous thought, if I so much as get angry with my brother in traffic, another human being, I've committed murder. And if I've got to do all of that to live, then, man, I better be frightened. And that's why the law is so frightening. When people tell me they keep the law, now let me say this. When you're born again, that law becomes part of your heart. It's part of who you are, and you want to keep that law. But you have a flesh, and the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. 
We talked about how we put that, those Amalekites, that flesh down, how we get rid of it last week, and I'm not going to get into that today, but, but the law should scare us. If you're comforted by the law, there's something wrong with you. Man, I, don't, I wouldn't post the Ten Commandments in this church. I wouldn't want to frighten you before you got here every Sunday. Maybe we should, because it's a good thing to have a healthy fear of God, and that's what God is trying to give them right here. He's trying to give them a healthy fear of himself. And if you look at your Bibles there, at the very next chapter, beginning in verse, uh, chapter 20, verse number 1, you get the Ten Commandments. Those beautiful, wonderful Ten Commandments that should scare you half to death if you have a healthy fear of God. Because I look at those, and man, I've got to have no other God before me except Jehovah. I won't do that today. I want to do that today, but I, I guarantee you there'll be things in my life that'll, 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 that'll be put ahead of Jehovah today. Because people tell me they love the Lord God with all their heart and with all their soul. You might want to, but buddy, you don't. You might love yourself with all your heart and all your soul, but I, I'm yet to meet the man or woman who loves the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul, who loves his neighbor as himself. I mean, we got so many mixed motives. Even when we do things for people, a lot of times we're doing it for notoriety. We're doing it for the wrong reasons. I mean, we're a mess. We're a mess, and we can't live up to the standard of this law. There's no way we can live up to the standard of this law. That's why there's a cross, thank God. That's why we come to the cross. Pick up with me now. I want to jump ahead into in the next week, just a little bit, but still from next week, but jump to chapter 20, verse 18. We get back to this scene. They're given the law. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet. I mean, just imagine that in real time. Just think about that happening here right now, how scary that would be. And, and uh, the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they say to Moses, hey, you speak with us, Moses, but don't let this God speak to us. We will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. They were scared of God at this point. I mean, here's the God who had saved them. He had, he had, he had destroyed Pharaoh's army. He had, he had uh bore them up on the eagle's wing. He had given them water from the rock and manna from, from heaven. And, and here is this same God, this God of love, and they're so terrified at this, of this God at this point that they say, Moses, don't let him speak to us. You speak to us from now. We don't even want to hear this guy. Friends, that is a healthy fear of God. That's a healthy fear of God that they had that day. They didn't keep it long because God's so good. We forget who he is, that he is holy and righteous and he hates sin. And it makes him angry. It's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. We forget all of that. And then look at the last verse we'll look at today. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. Oh, yeah, sure, Moses, (laughs) do not fear. What do you mean, do not fear? Do not fear, because God has given you a, a healthy fear of him for a reason. Look at what it says. For God has come to test you, 
that, and that, so that his fear may be before you, and this is the reason, so you'll, that you may not sin. You will be so afraid of him and his holiness, and you'll see his love, and you'll want to please him, that you may not sin. In other words, he still loves you. You're still his people. But he wants you to understand just how serious he is about sin. And what a terrible thing it's going to be if you keep sinning against a holy God. You know, God gave them a great blessing that day when he gave them a healthy fear of himself. Because we're told in Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That means the fear of the Lord is the first step we take on the road to salvation. That's why I said a few weeks back, you can't unhitch this Old Testament from the New Testament. You can sit and tell people God loves them and God, you know, God, God wants you to be in heaven and say a sinner's prayer and, and, and you're going to go. So they haven't begun yet. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And that's the first step to salvation. And God gave them that great gift that day at Mount Sinai. And what they did with it, that was up to them. So what's that mean to us? I mean, what's a healthy fear of God to look like to us as born-again believers? Well, it begins the same way it began for the Israelites. I mean, we're to see God the same way they saw him here at Mount Horeb. That's where it begins. I mean, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 12. He says, work out your salvation with joy and peace and happiness. It's not what he says, is it? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But it's God who does his work in you. Don't, 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 don't think you're going to be able to do it. He goes on and says that. But, but you're to work it out with fear and trembling, just like the Israelites did. I mean, you've got to come to a point before you can be saved that you see, or, or maybe shortly after you get saved, that you see God as terrifying in some way, as a perfect, holy God who hates sin, and he punishes sin with a horrible thing called hell, an eternal death that's worse than anything they saw here. You see, everybody wants to write that out of the Bible. And, and, and I don't like hell. I'm, I mean, I feel for anybody who has to go to hell. But, buddy, that should straighten us all up. Because hell is a place of the absence of God, and we should fear hell if we have a healthy fear of God. 
And that kind of fear, where we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, is the fear that, the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom, is the beginning of salvation, when we truly fear the Lord. You know, we live in an age, and you see it on the streets of America today, when no one seems to have a healthy fear of God. And, and the, the, the reason is, and because of that, let me put it this way, they're godless and they're perishing. And here's the funny thing. They fear everything else. They live in fear. We live in a world of people who don't fear God, but they fear everything else. That's why people let themselves get locked up by COVID. I heard, I, don't, I wouldn't listen to that guy if you, you paid me, but I heard a, a read about what Steve Colbert said on his show the other night, that his greatest fear is that Donald Trump get reelected and we all die of COVID. I, you know, he's a big sissy is all I can say. He thinks he's tough talking about Donald Trump. He doesn't fear God, but he fears COVID. He fears Trump getting elected. And, 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 and like I say, that, that, that's why it's so easy to get people to submit in fear to all of these regulations and stuff they're trying to put on top of us. It's only going to get worse. The more godless people become, the more they fear and the more regulations they're going to play. I, I, I mean, people, I mean, just about every law we have is based upon fear. That's why I like going to Texas. I can ride my motorcycle without a helmet. Louisiana, oh, okay. Governor Edwards, sissy, never mind, I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) Lives in fear. He wants you to live in fear because he doesn't really have a relationship with the Lord. He wants you to be like him and be afraid. And the doctors tell you to be afraid, so be afraid. And, and And here's another thing. Because people have no fear of God, they're, they're quick to do wicked things. Very quick to do wicked things. Listen to what David says in Psalms 36. He says, he says, the wicked love evil and devise wickedness in their beds because there is no fear of God before their eyes. I love being a believer. Don't you love being a believer? Because perfect love casts out fear. Because we fear God, we don't fear other people. We don't fear anything else. You know, you listen to Christian radio and it doesn't seem to come out that way. It seems to come out, hey guys, you, if, 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 if Biden and Harris get elected, the sky's going to fall. Hey, the sky might fall, but it's not falling on me, it's falling on them. Because I fear God. God's going to take care of me no matter who gets elected president. So come Tuesday, I don't have to fear anything. I mean, it might make me sick. Don't get me wrong if if a certain party takes over everything. And it's going to be bad for America. Don't get me wrong. As a patriot, I, I think it's terrible. But I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid because perfect love casts out fear. And we, we have worked when we have worked out our salvation with fear and trembling, and we have a healthy fear of God, we come to a place 
and, and we trust in Christ's righteousness, uh, our, we, we don't fear anything else. And our fear of God, let me tell you what happens to that. When you come to that place and you really see God for who he is and you look at these commandments for what they are and you see that you can't keep these commandments and only the righteousness of Christ can save you and, and so you fear God and, you, and, and that, that's the beginning of wisdom and you turn to Christ for your salvation, then your fear morphs into reverence. That's what it becomes. It becomes reverence and it becomes perfect love. That's where it goes. And you're not afraid anymore. You're not afraid of God, and you're not afraid of anything else. And we approach the Lord in a whole different way from the rest of the world, a whole different way from the way the Israelites approach God here in, in Exodus chapter 20. Go with me over to Hebrews chapter 12. Let me finish up with this. And, and I think most of you know where I'm going here. Over to the book of Hebrews, almost to Revelation. Go to chapter 12 and let's pick up in verse number 18. I love this passage. You want some encouragement Tuesday if things go bad? Go read chapter 12 of Hebrews. Listen to what he says in verse number 18. He says, for you who know Christ, who are, who are sprinkled by his blood, you who have come to Christ, you have not come to the mountain." that may be touched, that burn with fire, that may not be touched, that burn with fire and blackness and darkness and, and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so, so, so hor horrific that those who heard of it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And, it, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, uh, it shall be stoned or shot with an era, and so terrifying was the, was the sight that Moses said, even I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But that's not where we come when we come to a right relationship with Christ. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels who are right here right now, uh, to the general assembly, that's us, of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, uh, to the spirits of the just man who have been made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. That's some really good news. You hear what he's saying? When you come to a point where you have a healthy fear of God and you put your faith in God and you fear God in a healthy way, you have nothing else to fear. Hey, you've arrived. You really haven't arrived yet. It's going to get a lot better. But you've arrived at a place that, that uh, speaks so much more of Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb. Good luck if you're trying to keep the Ten Commandments. I'm coming to Mount Zion, and I'm looking to that cross of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for 
all you show us through your word. We thank you most of all for the blood that Christ has uh, shed for us. And, and uh, Lord, that gives us that love that cast out all fear. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your peace and your joy that we have in Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. We'll do the Lord's Supper.